0: Hey guys, it's Brie. You are listening to Brief. We are doing The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. And we're covering in this episode major characters in chapters 1 through 6. I'm back. Danica's back. (laughs) Welcome back. Okay, this is one of my favorite books. It's so good. And rereading it, I haven't read it in a few years. And rereading it, again, I was like, yeah, I really love this book.
1: It's so scandalous.
0: It's so scandalous.
1: But also like beautifully written.
0: Yeah, it is. It's amazing. It's Oscar Wilde's only novel. It was originally published in 1890 in a magazine in like parts.
1: Do you know which magazine? Was it like Out Magazine, the
0: original? (laughs) Did you say Out? Yeah. (laughs) For the advocate? No, (laughs) it wasn't because they censored it because it was considered indecent, but they did it without asking him.
1: Which is messed
0: up. But even after they censored it and published it, it was still considered like wildly offensive. Oscar Wilde obviously defended this, but he decided that he wanted it to be published as a book. So he signed off on them censoring it so that he could get it published. But you can buy the uncensored version. Okay, and then, this makes me so sad, so Oscar Wilde was gay, and in 1895, he was involved in a scandal, and he was found guilty of what they called gross indecency, which is the term they use to describe sexual acts between two men, and he was sentenced to two years of hard labor, this experience broke his health, and he died three years after being released, when he was 46, which is heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, that's really sad. So
0: just a note on the uncensored version. I'm assuming that everyone's reading the censored version. I don't know any teachers. If there is a teacher who's teaching the uncensored version, I want to meet them. Okay, throughout the novel, you're going to be like, is he gay? Is he having sex with men? And the answer is yes, probably. It's never explicitly said because all of the words that explicitly would tell you that he's having sex with men and women are taken out. But one of the main themes of the novel is duality, like living a double life, which Oscar Wilde always, that was like the main theme in basically all of his work because he was always living a double life. Like, have you ever read (laughs) The Importance of Being Earnest? It's so good. Anyway, so yeah, basically there's a lot of unknowns because it is censored, but You can assume that when they're talking about a relationship with Dorian and another human, whether it's female or male, that relationship was at one point sexual, right? I would agree. Okay.
1: So go get the uncensored version for a good time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I actually don't think it's that. Like, I think that you would read the uncensored version and be like, this is basically the same thing. Right.
1: Yeah. It's just like changing certain words, but it was like, was it, when was Victorian times?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was the late 1800s, so it was not okay to talk about yeah, yeah. anything sexual, basically, but especially nothing homosexual. Anyway, yeah. you can tell us about Dorian Gray. Yes, 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 yes.
1: Um, Dorian Gray, our title character, stud of a guy, very handsome. Though This is how I imagine him. He's, like, delicate with, like, gray cheekbones and a chiseled jaw.
0: Yeah, he's, like, a pretty boy. Like,
1: I picture Orlando Bloom. I know the book says he has blonde hair, but I still picture Orlando Bloom, like, Pirates of the Caribbean time.
0: Yeah, like, that scene when he puts his hat on and he smiles at the end and you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I just had a baby. (laughs) That's that's Dorian Gray.
1: (laughs) He's very into his looks and, like, basically becomes a narcissist. I think in the beginning he's
0: not. Yeah, he's too innocent in the beginning.
1: He's just like naive and pretty innocent until he sees his own picture and it just like goes to his head and then Lord Henry kind of feeds into it. Not kind of, he does a lot. And Basil's like admiration
0: of him also feeds into it. Well, and also it's not even just Basil. That sounds so weird. I've always said Basil. But Danica says Basil, so I'm going to try and say Basil because that's how you would say it in the UK, apparently. Anyway, it's not just him even. Like, everyone who meets Dorian Gray is immediately in love with him. Yeah. Because he he's so beautiful and innocent and young, and there's just something about him that, like, everyone is drawn to him.
1: Yeah, he has, like, a charm that you can't, like, pinpoint.
0: Yeah, so that's Dorian. And then Basil Hallward... Uh, he's a painter. He's the one that paints the picture of Dorian Gray. And it's his masterpiece of his whole life. But as a human, Basil, is he has very high moral standards. He's a really good person. But he's deeply infatuated with Dorian Gray. Like, borderline obsessed, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say. He's obsessed. In the beginning, he tells Lord Henry that he couldn't be happy if he didn't see him every day. Red flag. Red flag. But yeah, he's basically in love with him. All right, Lord Henry Watton.
1: Yeah, Lord Henry. Honestly, he's like a charming guy. He's like he doesn't really undergo very much change from beginning to end. He's very static. Um, but he's also has like a a power with people. He can like seduce people. The things he said, he's like very witty and he's charming. And so he can kind of, like, put people under a spell, for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah, he can basically get people to do what he wants them to do. Yeah. (laughs) Or think how he wants them to think.
1: Yeah, and he'll say, like, very outlandish things. He's, like, radical.
0: Yeah, and he'll say things and people will be like, Lord Henry, you're crazy. But then they, like, buy into it.
1: They're like, but you're right.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, he's a hedonist. Yeah, Which is someone who believes that the only thing worth pursuing in life is pleasure. And whether or not it, like, hurts other people or yourself, like, pleasure is the only thing worth pursuing.
1: Yeah. Which I think it's an important distinction that, like, pleasure and happiness are not the same thing. Exactly. Pleasure is, like, fleeting. Happiness can be, like, more steadfast.
0: Yeah. Well, for example... (laughs) At the end of the book, Lord Henry says that he believes that murdering someone could be considered a pleasure of some sort. if someone, And then someone could do it again in order to get that pleasure again. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it's not happiness and it's not necessarily good things.
1: It passes. And you you can't go back to it. You have to do it again.
0: So then he also believes that beauty is the most important thing in the world. So pleasure is the most important thing to pursue.
1: Beauty is the most important thing to have.
0: He says that beauty is more valuable than genius. But if you're not beautiful, then you better be a genius.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and sadly, in our world, there's truth to that. Oh,
0: yeah, still.
1: Which is terrible.
0: But yeah, he's very eloquent. But he's also indifferent about basically everything. He's kind of a, a hypocrite, I guess. Like, he gives people advice that he would himself never do. And sometimes he says things where we're like, we know you don't believe that. Like, he's a big talker.
1: Yeah, he, like, aims to shock people. Yeah. Which, like, I don't think I could be friends with them. No. I think at first I'd be excited. I'd be like, whoa, this guy's, like, crazy and fun. And then I'd be like, okay, you're ridiculous and, like, nothing you say is of any substance. So
0: Yeah, and he also, he loves having influence over people, especially Dorian Gray. He, like, becomes obsessed with having an influence on what Dorian does with his life.
1: Which is weird. Yeah. Like, if I were Dorian's friend, I'd be like, you need to get away from (laughs) this dude. He's really strange. Yeah,
0: but Dorian, unfortunately, is not a genius.
1: Okay, real quick. Just, I think that this is just going to be a tradition. Um, There are houses. Slytherin obviously, for Lord Henry. Oh,
0: absolutely. Slytherin sure. for
1: Dorian Gray. Basil, I want to say Hufflepuff.
0: Yeah, for sure Basil's Hufflepuff. Again, I am Hufflepuff, so I'm not making fun of him in that way. But I don't know if Dorian... The, the thing is, is that Dorian, if he had not met Lord Henry, he would not be Slytherin. True. He would maybe be Gryffindor.
1: I think he's a split... Gryffindor Slytherin and it's like whatever you choose and he chose what you become yeah yeah he was seduced by Malfoy
0: yeah he chose the dark arts for sure yeah spoiler alert he's not a wizard but he does some pretty dark deeds yeah all right so the we're not going to talk about these people but there are two other characters that are kind of main they're not main they're like tertiary Their names are Sybil and James Vane, their brother and sister, and they both have brief parts in the book, but they are significant, but we're not going to talk about them until they come up in the book. Okay, so the themes of this book that we're not going to talk about now, we're just going to tell you about them, are obviously aestheticism, focusing on the beauty of things rather than the deeper meaning of things. And this other one is basically the same. It's about the value of youth and beauty. And then the biggest one, in my opinion, is duplicity. All right. Chapter one, we open in London at Basil's house. It sounds so weird. (laughs) So he's at his house. He's talking about his most recent painting with his friend, Lord Henry. They're looking at the painting and admiring it. And Lord Henry tells Basil, he says, this is your finest work. You have to put it on display. And Basil's like, no, dude, I, I can't put it on display because there's too much of me in it. He thinks he put too much of his own like, soul into this painting because he's basically in love with Dorian Gray, who the painting is of. So Lord Henry, of course, goes on a rant, which he does all the time. So get used to it. But he goes on a rant about beauty And he says that real beauty ends where an intellectual expression begins. He says beauty doesn't think. And he assumes that the person in the painting, Dorian Gray, is brainless because he's so beautiful. Also, Lord Henry, they sometimes call him Harry. Like his close friends call him Harry. So if we say Harry, that's who we're talking about. Anyway, Basil tells Lord Henry that he thinks the ugly and the stupid have it easiest in this world. Which is interesting because it's kind of like what Daisy Buchanan says in The Great Gatsby. But she says she hopes she'll be a beautiful little fool. Like, she'll be beautiful but stupid. But Lord Henry thinks that the ugly people and the stupid people have it easiest in this world. He talks about secrets and how he finds secrecy delightful, especially in marriage. (laughs) He says, marriage makes a life of deception absolutely necessary. Um, So you're kind of getting an idea of Lord Henry. He kind of sucks, but he's super fun to listen to. Yeah. Okay. Basil tells Lord Henry, he's like, I don't believe anything you say. And then he says on page 12, Basil, Basil, Basil. See, I knew I'd revert (laughs) back to Basil. He says, you never say a moral thing and you never do a wrong thing. Your cynicism is simply a pose. So like we said before, he talks a big game, but he never actually does anything wrong. But he says a lot of things that are really wrong. So Lord Henry, again, asks Basil why he won't exhibit his painting. And he tells him that he's afraid he's shown in it the secret of his own soul. And then he tells him the story about how he met Dorian Gray. They met at a party. And from that moment, Dorian has become an, an object of fascination and obsession to Basil. Basically, Dorian is his muse. He says, he's like, I've always been my own master until I met Dorian Gray. And then this is when he says on page 17, I couldn't be happy if I didn't see him every day. He's absolutely necessary to me.
1: Yeah. Calm down, Basil.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Lord Henry tells him on page 19, he says, there's no doubt that genius lasts longer than beauty. That accounts for the fact that we all take such pains to over-educate ourselves In the wild struggle for existence, we want to have something that endures, and so we fill our minds with rubbish and facts in the silly hope of keeping our place. Okay, so Lord Henry remembers that he knows the name Dorian Gray because he heard his Aunt Agatha talk about him. And just then, Dorian arrives, and Lord Henry is like, I have to meet him. Basil doesn't want to introduce him to Dorian because he is afraid that Lord Henry will influence him negatively which he has good reason to believe he will. So he asks, he's like, all right, I'll let you meet him, but you can't influence him because he's simple and he's beautiful and you're <laughs> cynical and terrible and I don't want you to ruin him.
1: Also, it's like you have like a crush on someone, but they haven't like fully expressed interest in you, but you're like, maybe, but you don't want them to meet your hot friend. Oh. Because you're like, yeah. dang it.
0: <laughs> yes, Exactly. Basil says on page 21, don't spoil him. Don't try to influence him. Your influence would be bad. The world is wide and has many marvelous people in it. Don't take away from me the one person who gives my art whatever charm it possesses. My life as an artist depends on him. The obsession is real. I think more than Lord Henry's influence, he's probably worried that Dorian is going to like Lord Henry more than he likes Basil. For sure. Because Lord Henry is like intoxicating the way he talks
1: yeah for someone who's like young and impressionable to meet someone who's like that charming when they speak of course they're gonna go along with whatever that
0: person says exactly chapter two
1: lord henry and dorian meet lord henry's like oh like you are even more handsome than your portrait which like i don't think he's expecting him to be and he's he's really into him from the get-go So I feel like Dorian and Gatsby have a similar effect on people, but so this is how Dorian's described. There's something in his face that made one trust him at once. All the candor of youth was there, as well as all youth's passionate purity. One felt that he had kept himself unspotted from the world.
0: Side note, I think it's interesting because at least three or four times in the book, someone says that Dorian looks like he's unspotted from the world. And isn't that a scripture? It could be. Yeah, it's a scripture. James 1, 26. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Anyway, I think it's interesting because I wonder as to Oscar Wilde's purpose in that because I don't know what he felt about religion.
1: But religion is like the thing that makes people say this is
0: wrong. Exactly. And there's probably a lot of frustration maybe that he feels towards that and it's funny that people say that dorian is unspotted from the world because he's the worst he's not yeah later in the book but people think that he is yeah and i think that's significant
1: yeah i think it's like the duality thing where it's like appearance versus reality and also here's this person who especially in the beginning is unspotted from the world And I think the circumstances of secrecy make him become more evil.
0: For sure. For sure.
1: And I'm not saying he's blameless, but I'm saying there are circumstances that push people to act in a way that they wouldn't if there were more acceptance. So yeah, that's how Dorian is. Basil really wants Lord Henry to leave, but Dorian's like, no, stay and talk to me while I sit because I'm bored. And so then while Basil paints Dorian, Lord Henry is just like, okay, let's I'll tell you my life philosophy. This is where the spiral begins. (laughs) And Basil's like, Dorian, don't pay attention to him. He's bad influence. And Lord Henry's like, good influence doesn't exist. All influence is immoral. Because to have influence over a person means that they don't have like complete autonomy over themselves. You know what I mean?
0: Yes. Again, he just kind of talks. Yeah. And he also, anything anyone says, he's like, no, no, no. There's no there's no such thing as good influence. He always does that.
1: And I think it's like, there's no such thing as good and bad. It just is.
0: Yeah. All right. Anyway, Lord Henry is talking the whole time.
1: Yeah. He just talks, <laughs> talk, 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 talks. Basil's like trying to like tune him out, but he notices the change in Dorian's expression as Lord Henry is talking, which like I'm sure on the inside, ba- Basil's like panicking. It's like, no, <laughs> please stop. The way I imagined it is like, Dorian like kind of perks up a little bit from his normal sitting posture and is like more engaged. And then don't they don't they go out to the garden? Or not yet.
0: Yeah, he's so Lord Henry is talking about like living life fully. Yeah. Which he says is only possible if a man lives without fear and gives in to all his impulses.
1: (laughs) Never resist temptation. Like never
0: resist temptation. (laughs) Which sounds like a really fun way to live. (laughs) Really fun way. Super dangerous.
1: If I gave in to every temptation, because I feel like it's a slippery slope too. Like you give in to one, and then there's a bigger one and a bigger one.
0: The next thing you know, you've murdered two people.
1: Yeah, not good life advice. So then Dorian tells Lord Henry to stop so he can process everything that he said. He seems to like understand everything and kind of buy into everything that He's been told by Lord Henry.
0: Yeah, it's like a revelation to him. He's like, oh my gosh, this is what life is supposed to be.
1: This is what being a man is and being an adult. And then Lord Henry just like watches him. And it says he knew the precise psychological moment when to say nothing. He's
0: a freaking sociopath.
1: He's a sociopath. He's indifferent to murder. (laughs) Literal murder. He just like shrugs his shoulders and is like, yeah, it's not good or bad. It just is. He's, like, amazed and also pleased with how deeply he's affected Dorian with everything that he said. And then Dorian's like, all right, I need a break. So they go into the garden for a walk, and Dorian's, like, he's aware of Lord Henry's influence on him. While they're in the garden, Lord Henry tells him that, like, youth and beauty are the only things worth having, and to enjoy them now because they'll fade very quickly. He tells him, now wherever you go, you charm the world. We'll always be so. You have a wonderfully beautiful face, and beauty is a form of genius is higher indeed than genius as it needs no explanation and he has like a time stamp an expiration date on living fully because as soon as his youth goes his beauty will go and then he can't charm people the same way
0: which is absolutely right you guys yeah (laughs) youth and beauty are the only important things in the whole world but good luck charming people without your brain
1: they go back to the studio and he has to sit for like 15 more minutes the painting's done. And Dorian is not happy. Well,
0: he's happy, but he's also, he's like jealous.
1: Yeah, he's jealous of the painting because the painting is never going to age. It, and its beauty will always remain while he ages. And it'll just be like a reminder of what he once was. So he gets sad because he will grow old. The painting won't. He says, how sad it is. I shall grow old and horrible and dreadful. But this picture will remain always young. It will never be older than this particular day in June. If it were only the other way, if it were I who was to always be young and the picture that was to grow old, for that for that, I would give everything, yes. There is nothing in the whole world I would not give. I would give my soul for that. And then he's like Roots Basil and says, you only like me because I'm young and beautiful. He says, Lord Henry is perfectly right. Youth is the only thing worth having. When I find that I'm growing old, I shall kill myself. Both of those are on page 32. Basil tries to calm him down and tells him that he's his best friend and
0: I love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Basil gets like takes it very personally, and he is like, I I will destroy this painting rather than our friendship being destroyed over the painting. And Dorian stops him and he says, I'm in love with it, Basil. It is part of myself. Which, here comes the narcissism.
0: I'm in love with myself. I'm in love with it because it's me. It's beautiful, just like me. That's what
1: I say every morning when I look into the mirror. And then the butler brings tea, which is very English and cute. So they, like, are trying to distinguish what's real, what's not, between the painting and Dorian. And, like, maybe the painting is showing what's real rather than the person. Which, side note, I remember they did an experiment where they had, like, a sketch artist behind a curtain... The person described themselves to the sketch artist and they drew it. And then their best friend at a different time described that same person. And the images were like the shapes were the same, but the images were super different because their friends could see the light in their eyes that you don't see in yourself. It just made me think of it where it's like sometimes maybe paintings like show the real side of yourself that you don't see.
0: It's like what I always think about. I don't know why, but I think about this almost every single day. I will never see my own face. I'll see myself in a mirror. I'll see myself in pictures, but I'll never see my actual face. Yeah. It's so weird. It's
1: really strange.
0: But whenever, yeah, when they talk about this painting, like what's real, the painting or him, I always think about that painting of the pipe. And then underneath it says, this is not a pipe. Yeah. Because it's not a pipe. It's a painting of a pipe. Yeah. That's kind of what I think of.
1: So anyway, that's some foreshadowing. Lord Henry says, let's go to the theater. Basil says, no, I'm not going. Dorian's like, yeah, I want to go. And Basil's like, no, you shouldn't go with him. <laughs> no, stay here with me. Stay with me. It just like Basil is Gretchen when Regina is like, no one understands me. And she's like, talk to me, Regina. I understand you. <laughs> Seriously. So Basil is like very worried that Lord Henry is going to ruin Dorian. And he reminds Lord Henry that... He promised he wouldn't negatively influence Dorian or spoil him, but, like, clearly...
0: The seed has been planted. Okay, chapter three. Okay, so Lord Henry goes to visit his uncle. His uncle's name is Lord Firmer. He's a nobleman, and people consider him to be generous in terms of charity, but he's, like, a very selfish person, I guess. Lord Henry's visiting him to find out about Dorian Gray's family because he's become very interested in where dorian gray came from and his uncle knows everyone so he goes to ask him about it dorian is lord kelso's grandson and dorian's mother her name was lady margaret Devereux. lord firmer tells lord henry this he says lady margaret was extraordinarily beautiful he says she's one of the loveliest creatures he ever saw which sounds a lot like what people say about dorian he says that she made all the men frantic by running away with a penniless fellow and they got married. And then shortly after the man was killed in a duel and it's widely believed that Lord Kelso, her father, paid a man to fight her his daughter's husband and kill him in order to get rid of him. That was all hushed up. And Lord Kelso, because of this, was ostracized for a while and then Poor Lady Margaret died within the next year because she was so sad, but she left a son named Dorian, and he was left to be raised by his horrible grandfather, and he has a lot of money to his name from his mother and his grandfather, and Lord Fermer says again that Lady Margaret could have married anyone she wanted, even like a particularly sought after man named Carlington wanted her, but she also rejected him anyway. Then they get off topic a little bit. They start talking about another man who decided to <laughs> to marry an American girl, and I'm only talking about this because I think it's really funny what they <laughs> say about American girls. But Lord Fermer is upset because he said he's like, aren't English girls good enough? And Lord Henry tells him that it's fashionable to marry American girls now. And Lord Fermer asks the particular couple that he's asking about. He asks if the American girl is pretty, and Lord Henry says. On page 40, he says, she behaves as if she was beautiful. Most American women do. It is the secret of their charm. True. (laughs) Do we all think we're pretty? (laughs) Lord Henry freaking cracks me up sometimes. So he leaves his uncle's and he goes to his Aunt Agatha's for lunch. And on his way, he thinks about Dorian's story and he finds himself feeling that it's a sort of modern romance. Lord Henry looks at everything as if it's like a play. Like, oh, how romantic that he was brought about by the death of two humans who happened to be his parents. Like, yeah. anyway, um, so he thinks it's like a modern romance. He says a beautiful woman risks everything to be with a man. Their love's cut short by her evil father. A child is born. The mother dies. The boy lives in solitude, raised by an evil grandfather, who he thinks of as like a loveless tyrant. Anyway, he thinks it's beautiful tragedy. So Lord Henry then starts thinking about his influence on Dorian, which he loves the fact that he has power over him. And he decides that he'll try to be to Dorian what Dorian is to Basil. Lord Henry wants Dorian to consider him a sort of muse. And he says on page 42, it says, Lord Henry, he would seek to dominate him, had already indeed half done so. He would make that wonderful spirit his own. There was something fascinating in this son of love and death. So, Lord Henry arrives at Lady Agatha's for lunch, late as usual, and Dorian's there. There's a bunch of people, like the Duchess of Harley. I don't know. There's a, I feel like there's a lot of duchesses in this book. Uh, there's a member of Parliament and a few other prominent men and women, and they're discussing Dartmoor, who is a man, he's the man that's going to marry the American girl. They're all appalled by this, and during the conversation, Lady Agatha tells the others, she's like... Just a warning, don't listen to Lord Henry. He never means anything that he says. And people say that a lot about him. I think people recognize that he's a talker. So they argue for a bit about Americans and Lord Henry doesn't really like Americans or he just likes to stir the pot. (laughs) But one of the other men is trying to defend American people and the topic moves towards charity and their responsibility to help others lord henry of course believes in hedonism which we talked about before in like pursuing only pleasures in life and he talks about how he can't sympathize with suffering he's like it's too distressing i can't do it and he tells them that humanity takes itself too seriously i can't sympathize with suffering <laughs> <laughs> it's so rude
1: he is a sociopath that's what a sociopath is yeah
0: oh absolutely he has no empathy okay so the Duchess asks Lord Henry how she's like how do I get back to my youth and he tells her that in order to get back to your youth you merely have to repeat your follies just do everything that you ever did wrong in your youth and you'll be young again one of the men is like that's a dangerous theory And Lord Henry responds with this delightful controversy. He says on page 46, most people die of a sort of creeping common sense and discover when it's too late that the only things one never regrets are one's mistakes. He's literally saying, you'll never regret the mistakes that you make. Which is interesting because, I mean, mistakes help you grow and blah, blah, blah. But I think the way that he's saying is like, You'll never regret sleeping around. You'll never regret
1: killing someone.
0: (laughs) When you're on your deathbed, you'll never be like, I wish I didn't sleep with more people. Yeah, right? Anyway, I don't know. He's just crazy. But everyone laughs, but they're a little bit uncomfortable. But Lord Henry takes their laugh, and he runs with it, and he goes into his philosophy, obviously, particularly about pleasure. And during his speech, he can feel Dorian looking at him the whole time. And he real, he knows that everyone's listening and everyone's charmed by him. And he, like, loves that he can put them under a spell. But then a servant comes in and the Duchess has to leave. And she tells Lord Henry that he's quite delightful and dreadfully demoralizing. <laughs> and the ladies leave the room and one of the men asks Lord Henry, it, he's like, did you really mean everything you said? And Lord Henry, he's like, I forgot <laughs> what I said. <laughs> Was it bad? <laughs> The man tells him that it was bad and that he finds Lord Henry extremely dangerous. And then the men start leaving and Lord Henry says he's going to go to the park. Dorian asks to go with him. But Dorian had plans to see Basil that afternoon. And Lord Henry's like, why are you bailing on him? And Dorian says, which is all Lord Henry wanted to hear him say. He says he'd rather be with Lord Henry. He says, promise to talk to me the whole time. No one talks so wonderfully as you. And they leave together.
1: Okay, chapter four. A month later, Dorian goes to see Lord Henry. He's not there. So Dorian just like waits for him. Lord Henry's like late by principle because he says punctuality is a waste of time. Again, that's crap.
0: Everything he does is like he just has to say the opposite of what other people assume to be true. Like he doesn't like to be normal. So he's like, I'm going to be late because everyone else thinks that you need to be punctual.
1: So while he's waiting, he meets Victoria, Lord Henry's wife. And the description of her is like, it's so savage and it's my
0: favorite. I right know, it's so good.
1: Her clothes looked as if they had been designed in a rage and put on in a tempest. And she tried looking picturesque, but she only succeeded in looking untidy. Um, and she had like a mania for going to church. <laughs> and she seems like a very unlikely match for Lord Henry. But back then they like weren't really marrying for love.
0: Well, and I don't think anybody could be a match for Lord Henry.
1: Yeah, so they're chatting, and she's like, I've been wanting to meet you for so long. You've been with my husband so many times, but I haven't met you. And it's like, well, that's because...
0: That's because Lord Henry's probably in love with Dorian Gray and secretly yeah. wants yeah. to hook up with him.
1: Yeah, and, like, maybe they are hooking up.
0: Maybe they could be, honestly. I am i don't doubt that Dorian's... Like, Dorian's hooking up with everyone in the novel, always.
1: <laughs> always. Whoever he locks eyes with... he. They're getting busy later yep Lord Henry finally arrives and he says he's been bargaining with someone and like one of the famous lines from the book is nowadays people know the price of everything the value of nothing
0: one of the only things that Lord Henry says that I actually agree with
1: yeah 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 Dorian is like all Twitter painted or whatever over Sybil Vane she's the young actress that he's fallen in love with
0: she is an actor in like like a Janky theater. Yeah, it's not
1: like a dignified place. It's like the slums.
0: And she plays different Shakespearean characters every night.
1: Like he lists the people that he's seen her as, and it's like, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Juliet, Rosalind, Imogen. He
1: tells Lord Henry that Sybil is a genius, and Lord Henry says, no woman is a genius. Women are a decorative sex. They never have anything to say, but they say it
0: charmingly. (laughs) Women are just decorative. I'm just
1: a piece of decor. And then Dorian tells Lord Henry that this is like the love of his life. Lord Henry says that's not true. It's just the first. He says that people who only love once in their lives are shallow. Dorian talks about the play and how it's like all crap except for Sybil and she's like the most wonderful actress in the entire world and he says Harry imagine a girl hardly 17 years of age with a little flower-like face a small greek head with plated coils of of dark brown hair eyes that were violet well's passion lips that were like the petals of a rose she was the loveliest thing I'd ever seen in my life
0: side note Dorian is also underage
1: yeah they're both teenagers
0: yeah I I did he just turn 18? Something like that. He's not, he's very young too. So it's not like he's like a 25 year old dude being like, I'm in love with a 17 year old. And also it's the 1800s. So things were different yeah. then.
1: Yeah. Like he could be 16 and still say like, I'm in love with a 17 year old. People would be like, cool. But yeah, so then he says she is everything to me in my life. And since the first night he went and saw her play, he's gone every single night after.
0: Obsessed much?
1: But like they haven't spoken. So that's where we're at with his emotional intelligence. Um.
0: (laughs) I'm in love with this girl who I've seen act on stage, but never in a real setting. I just see her pretend to be Juliet, and I'm in love with her. That's like me. I'm in love with Tim Riggins. I don't (laughs) want the actor Taylor Kitsch. I want Tim Riggins. Yeah. But he's not real.
1: Lloyd Henry like makes fun of Dorian, but in like a loving way. And Dorian says, like, he wishes he had never told him about it. And Lord Henry says that Dorian will tell him everything about his life because he can't help it, which is true. And Dorian admits, you have a curious influence over me. If I ever did a crime, I would come and confess it to you. You would understand me. And then Lord Henry says, people like you don't commit crimes.
0: You're too beautiful to do anything wrong ever.
1: Then Lord Henry asked Dorian if he's ever talked to Sybil. He said he's spoken to her once, but that's all. And he said that she was shy and the exchange was awkward, but she referred to him as Prince Charming.
0: And he thinks he's like going to save her. Yeah. That's what I think he means when he, he says she knows nothing of life because she lives with her mom and they have no money. And he like thinks he's going to save her. Like, I don't care about her past. Her future is with me.
1: And he says, I want to make Romeo jealous. I want the dead lovers of the world to hear our laughter and grow sad. I want a breath of our passion to stir their dust into consciousness, to wake their ashes into pain. My God, Harry, how I worship her.
0: If you're using the word worship when you're talking about someone that you like, you're probably not in a very good mental state. You're
1: not a good mental state. Like, humans should not be worshipped ever. Also, his motive or his intention with her isn't to simply like, admire the person she is or be a good partner to her or companion or whatever or even like have her so no one else can it's like I want our love to be better than anyone else's and make dead people jealous like (laughs) okay you're very insecure Dorian leaves and he's gonna go back to the theater and then Lord Henry thinks about the influence he has over Dorian and is pleased and he thinks that the psychology of another human is fascinating and like i think this like little bit just shows how little feeling lord henry has and how intrigued he is just by like he gets pleasure from exercising power over another person he leaves for dinner when he comes back he has a telegram from dorian telling him that dorian and sybil vane are engaged to be married so great life choices everybody
0: so chapter five we cut to sybil vane's house She's with her mother. They're talking about her love of her life. They don't know his name. (laughs) So (laughs) they don't actually know Dorian's name. She just calls him Prince Charming. And she goes on and on about how happy she is. But her mom is not so happy about the situation. And she's trying to bring Sybil back down to earth. Like you don't even know this dude's name. Her mother reminds her, she's like, you have to stay, we have to act because we owe Mr. Isaacs, we owe him money. He's the guy that owns the theater. He's been really nice to us and we owe him money and so we have to stay and act. And Sybil tells her that Prince Charming is rich and they don't need to worry about money or Mr. Isaacs anymore. And she says, on page 64, she says, Prince Charming rules life for us now. I just, I can't wait, Danica. I can't wait for someone to rule my life. (laughs) Anyway, She's 17, and it's the 1800s, so I need to stop being rude. Anyway, Mrs. Vane isn't super stoked, obviously, on this arrangement, but she hopes that, Miss- that Prince Charming is really rich and that he's nice and will help Sybil have a good life. I
1: mean, it's Sybil's best hope.
0: Yeah. Well, is it?
1: <laughs> Without all the information, it's her best hope.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah, looking on from a perspective of not knowing what happens next – This is a good situation for her, assuming that Dorian Gray is a good person. Okay, so Sybil's brother shows up. His name is James Vane. He's a sailor. He's, like, really big. They don't look anything alike. Sybil's, like, really pretty, and James is kind of a brute. And he's leaving for Australia that night on a ship for work. Him and Sybil go on a walk together because he wants to tell her that he's concerned about this Prince Charming guy. He's also not (laughs) very nice to his mom. (laughs) I think he's got some isu- some mommy issues, but yeah. he, like, basically looks at her like, I can't believe you're letting this happen. And Mrs. Vane is like, hey, listen, there's lots of guys who come to dote on actresses, but I assure you that this guy is a perfect gentleman. And then James is, like, in a threatening sort of way, tells his mom to watch over Sybil. He's, like, borderline... Incestually in love with his sister.
1: Yeah, he's just like possessive of her. I
0: think. Possessive, but the way that he talks about her, it feels a little bit more than that. And maybe I'm just reading into yeah. it, but like, so Sybil and James leave on their walk, and it says on page 68, it says, he was like a common gardener walking with a rose. Sybil talks the entire walk about all the adventures James is going to have in Australia. I think she's kind of avoiding talking about Prince Charming. He doesn't really listen, he's super concerned he senses like some sort of danger in this situation and James like in his thoughts it says that he finds his mother to be shallow and vain and doesn't think she can protect Sybil and then he thinks about something that he overheard and he remembers that he has a question to ask his mom before he leaves which we'll come back to but James asks Sybil to tell him about the man and he's like you don't even know his name. And she's like, he's called Prince Charming. If only you saw him, you would think him the most wonderful person in the world, which is actually probably true because everyone does. Sybil talks about how excited she is to play Juliet for him when she's in love and blah, blah, blah. And James tells her to be careful. And Sybil's like, stop worrying. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. And as they walk, they see Dorian Gray pass in a carriage. He's like in a carriage with two other chicks or something. But James doesn't see his face. So he doesn't know his name. He doesn't see his face. He doesn't know who this guy is. Anyway, James tells her, he's like, I wish I'd seen his face. On page 72, he says, I wish I had. For as sure as there is a God in heaven, if he ever does you any wrong, I shall kill him. And Sybil is like horrified by this. And she's like, you're foolish and you're jealous. (laughs) So Sybil is 17 and James is 16, by the way. He's a year younger than Sybil. He's like, I wish I wasn't leaving so I could take care of you, blah, blah, blah. They walk back home. They say goodbye. Sybil goes to lie down before her show. And James sits and eats dinner with his mother. He asks his mother the question he's been dying to ask her. He says, he asks her if she was married to his father. And she says no. On page 74, she says, I knew he was not free. We loved each other very much. If he had lived, he would have made provision for us. He was a gentleman. And James gets really angry. calls his father a scoundrel. And he's like, Sybil's in love with a supposed gentleman too. How do we know he's not a scoundrel? And his mother points out that she's like, I'm here to watch over her. Like she has a a mother. I didn't have a mother. James tells her that he's sorry for being rude. And then again says, if the man hurts Sybil, he's going to kill him. And Mrs. Vane felt like This was like some sort of scene from a play because she's an actress and she like got swept away for a while, whatever. And then she thinks to herself, she says, or maybe she says it out loud. I can't remember. But she she knows that they'll all laugh about it someday when Sybil is happy and married to Prince Charming. Moving on to chapter six. That night at dinner, Lord Henry and Basil wait for Dorian to arrive. Lord Henry tells Basil that Dorian is engaged to be married. Basil's obviously shocked and hurt by this because Dorian didn't tell him earlier, or I guess before Lord Henry. Basil is concerned for Dorian that he's going to marry someone so far beneath his social status. And he asks Lord Henry, he's like, do you approve of this? Lord Henry also doesn't approve, well, He says he doesn't approve or disapprove of anything, obviously, because that's Lord Henry. And he says he doesn't care much what Dorian does, but he's not a huge fan of marriage. He says, on page 77, he says, The real drawback to marriage is that it makes one unselfish, and unselfish people are colorless. They lack individuality. Just love that guy, you know? He says that he hopes Dorian will marry this girl and adore her for six months before falling in love with someone else suddenly and divorcing her and marrying this new girl. Basil, as always, is like, Lord Henry, you don't mean any of this. You're much better than you pretend to be, which is a common theme. He basically says the opposite of whatever the person he's speaking with believes because he likes to be controversial. He's basically like a pretender. I don't know. He's like a poser, kind of. He just says whatever he wants, whether or not he truly believes it, whether or not he is planning to act the same way, he just is all talk. Okay, anyway. Dorian arrives and they congratulate him on his engagement. He tells them the story of how he proposed. He says, They went to see Sybil backstage after she performed as Rosalind. And on 79, he says, As we were sitting together, suddenly there came into her eyes a look that I had never seen there before. My lips moved towards hers. We kissed each other. I can't describe to you what I felt in that moment. It seemed to me that all my life had been narrowed down to one perfect point of rose-colored joy. Lord Henry's like, All right, well, when did you say will you marry me? And Dorian says he didn't technically make a formal proposal, but Sybil told him, She wasn't worthy to be his wife, and he says, he's like, yeah, right, of course you are, you're everything. So Lord Henry laughs, but he also makes me laugh every time he speaks mostly, but especially when he talks about women. On page 80, he says, women are wonderfully practical, much more practical than we are. In situations of that kind, we often forget to say anything about marriage, and they always remind us. I have a theory that it is always the women who propose to us and not we who propose to them. Dorian tells them how excited he is for them to see her on stage and just goes off on how amazing she is. He tells Lord Henry that falling in love with Sybil has showed him that all of Lord Henry's theories about life and pleasure and love are wrong. They argue for a while and Dorian tells Lord Henry that he's dreadful and doesn't know why he likes him so much. Lord Henry responds on 82, he says, Dorian, you will always be fond of me. I represent to you all the sins you have never had the courage to commit. They leave dinner, they head to the theater and Basil is sad and jealous and it says he feels a sense of loss. On 83, he says, he felt that Dorian Gray would never again be to him all that he had been in the past because he's engaged to a woman. All right. That is it for this episode. In the next episode, we will cover the rest of the book through chapters 20 and then themes as well. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram right now so that you can know when we post new books and also send your syllabi to our email hello at briefpodcast.com so that we know what books you need briefed.